Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Quality people, we are back with episode number 69 of the Healthcare Quality Cast. As always, I am your host, Jarvis Gray, and we have a huge show that we're bringing for you today. Now, before we get into it, I have a special call to action for you, my quality people, and healthcare leaders across the board. Right now, we have a number of healthcare organizations that have begun to reduce work hours, furlough, and even lay off key staff members. And as crazy as it may seem, quality improvement, project management, analytics, and other technical support team members are falling into this category. The reality is that while healthcare facilities work to recapture their patient volumes, anyone not caring for a patient or not performing surgery is at risk for reduction. Please reach out to me anytime and let me know what I can do through my existing networks and also through this podcasting platform to offer my support. Also, this might be a great time to join the private LinkedIn group for this show and to network with other healthcare professionals across the globe. All of that said, please consider also reaching out to any of the past guests of this podcast and simply share that you were referred by me. No matter what, I truly want to see you all land the next great opportunity, and I am happy to offer my network if it can be helpful. And speaking of networks, well, today's guest is an absolutely perfect example of why the guests of our show are hands down the most impressive amongst any other show across the whole podcasting universe. Deneen Richmond is the Chief Quality, Patient Safety, and Population Health Officer for Luminous Health in Annapolis, Maryland. In this role, Deneen has executive oversight of the organization's quality, patient safety, population health strategies across the system's continuum of care, as well as oversight over community health and performance improvement. Prior to this role, Deneen held leadership roles at Ann Arundel, Anova Health System, Holy Cross Hospital, Del Marva Foundation, the National Committee of Quality Assurance, and the Baltimore Medical System. Deneen also serves as an adjunct faculty for the George Washington University's Master's in Health Administration program, where in 2018, she received the Excellence in Teaching Master's Level Online Award and the Distinguished Alumni Award from the George Washington University Milken Institute School of Public Health. Here in episode number 69, Deneen starts our show with a classic quote from John Quincy Adams. Deneen walks us through her incredible career path and tells us what a day in the life of a VP of pop health and clinical improvement looks like. Deneen shares a dark moment reflection centered around exploring new opportunities and ultimately what it takes to move forward in both our professional and personal journeys. Deneen teaches us how she leverages high-reliability principles to lead high-performing teams within her organization. Deneen shares an aha moment teaching us that you don't always need to be the expert. Deneen delivers a ton of value while sharing the healthcare trends that she's excited about and the impact that quality people can make to support it. She shares how she inspires her teams to be a part of the solution. And she gives her best career advice, teaching us to be authentic in every way. Now, Deneen, I cannot express my gratitude enough for having you join my podcast. As I reflect on our conversation, I found you to be so incredibly enthusiastic. Your expertise was on like level 10. Your passion for improving the healthcare industry and the experience for our communities came across so vibrantly in every story that you shared. But most importantly, I can tell that you're still having fun leading the work that you're doing. And for that, Deneen, I salute you and I pray for your continued success. Quality people, be sure to have your pen and paper ready and your finger close to the pause button because Deneen is dropping knowledge throughout this entire show. Take care, everyone, and please be sure to join us next week where I connect with a healthcare leader in the midst of a career transition, and he'll be sharing his story because I am not playing when I say please leverage me, my networks, and my podcast as needed. 
Stay productive, everyone, and we'll see you back here next week. All right. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And I am here today with my guest, Ms. Deneen Richmond. Deneen, are you ready to share with the quality people? I am. Good morning, everybody. All right. Good morning. And thank you. This is one of the few calls, Janine, that actually take place early in the morning. I've, I usually, interestingly enough, do calls like late at night, 9, 10 o'clock at night. So thank you for jumping on the call this morning with me. You're welcome. Happy to be here. <laughs> well, Janine, we love to start our show with positive affirmations, really to get our momentum going. And would love if you're able to share a favorite leadership quote or mindset with our audience, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Okay, so let me start off and just um, share a quote that I try to live by every day. Um, and it's actually by John Quincy Adams. And the quote is, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. So what that really, it really speaks to me because I think sometimes people really misconstrue what does it mean to be a leader. And it's not all about you. It's really about, as John Quincy Adams um, appropriately said in that quote, your, the actions that you're taking and how you're motivating, inspiring, and helping others to dream, learn more, and do more. So. That's my, my go-to kind of affirmation um, that I really use to drive how I want to show up every day as a healthcare leader. Perfect. I, I am familiar with that, but you can never get tired of hearing that, especially when you are either in a leadership position or working to become just a better leader on a daily basis. So um, excellent quote to get us started. Thank you for that. So. Deneen, next question I have for you, um, I would love for you to kind of give our quality people, our audience, a great introduction to everything about you. Um, even we were just kind of quickly sharing that some small things may have changed since the original invite to um, our conversation now. So, uh, Deneen, I would love for you to share um, some information about your current role, but definitely your professional background and your career path as um, our audience plugs in with this episode and just kind of share, kind of lay it all out because I, I hope that a lot of folks in our audience are also aspiring to to get to where folks like yourself and other past guests are within their career paths. Sure. So, yes, as you mentioned, um, I've had a, a, a recent career change. So I am the Chief Quality and Population Health Officer for Luminous Health. Um, Luminous Health is a new health system that was formed um, with the partnership between Anne Arundel Medical Center, which is where I was um, previously working or continue to work there, but it's now part of Luminous Health, um, doc and Doctors Community Medical Center. And then we also have um, Pathways, which is a substance abuse inpatient center hospital. Um, and soon, very soon, in the next month, we're going to be opening up McNew Family Medical Center, um, which is um, for the treatment of um, behavior health and inpatient behavior health unit, which is definitely a much, much needed um, um, issue. And, and we're, we're trying to address that need in our community. And obviously we know behavior health needs across the country are huge. Um, so that's my role, quality and population health um, officer, chief quality and population health officer for Luminous Health. My background, I am a registered nurse um, by background. I have my bachelor's in nursing and my master's in health administration. Um, I jokingly tell people that um, you wouldn't want me taking care of you right now, um, only because it's probably been, I don't know, 25 plus years since I've been in direct patient care. But at the same time, um, that clinical knowledge and that, and that experience um, never really leaves you. And, I got into nursing originally because, um, and it's still true today in what I'm doing, you know, I always saw myself, you know, based on my personality and my values as someone who wanted to be in a role to help others, to be in a helping profession. And as we know, that's exactly what we do in healthcare. And you can do it from lots of different angles and maybe we can explore some of those a little later. But my career has taken me from you know, being at the front line of the of of um, taking care of of patients um, to a number of different roles in quality, population health, 
patient safety, performance improvement, and a lot of different sectors of the healthcare industry. So I've worked everywhere from hospitals to federally qualified health, um, health centers to um, quality improvement organizations to a national organization, um, NCQA, National Committee for Quality Assurance, that accredits health plans and oversees the, the national HEDIS performance measurement set um, to now being back in, in, a, in a health um, direct provider role, but at an executive level, um, leading a number of activities related to quality and population health and patient safety, infection control, and several other areas. All right, and Danina, I'll quickly share, you know, when I came across your profile on LinkedIn and the, the first thing that did jump out to me was the incredible career path that um, you have built behind yourself, the things that I took from your profile at that time. I mean, prior roles as um, vice president of quality and process improvement, um, managed care and so forth. So just want to commend you on just a really, really impressive career path. As I looked at it personally, I was like, man, I, I got to step my game up as I keep growing myself. Um, but uh, Danita, I, I would love for you to share, um, just uh, maybe add on to that question just a little bit more and maybe share with us what does the day in the life of a chief quality and population health officer look like? Um, what are some of the key things you're doing um, in terms of the daily leadership, but also in the daily strategy and vision setting from your role? Sure. So right now, and I pray that by the time this podcast airs, the situation is a little different. Um, but right now, as every um, across the country, um, everyone is deep, deep in the midst of dealing with this COVID-19 pandemic. And um, one of my roles is um, and is to really guide and lead some of my organizations. So that's just consuming a lot of my daily life. And then I'm going to talk about what it would look like if we weren't in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. But right now, a lot of it is geared toward making sure that sure that my organization um, is is prepared and ready. So from a population health perspective, I'm leading a lot of the modeling that we're doing. Um, to really make sure that we are prepared to take care of every patient who we encounter, every one of our um, valued staff members, including our medical staff, our contractors, and others, as well as our community. And that's where the population health comes in. So a lot of preparation is happening on a daily basis right now that I'm guiding and leading um, to make sure that we're ready, not just for today, but what may be coming our way in the upcoming days and weeks and perhaps months. On a normal basis, um, from the population health perspective, a lot of the work that I need is, um, lead is really um, situating my organization as we are continuing that transition into value-based care. So strategically, looking at how we are organizing ourselves to provide care across the continuum. Um, I like to say that we don't discharge patients at all. We just have to prepare patients and help them transition to that next setting of care, whether it's going to be home or um, in an assisted living facility or in a skilled nursing facility or hospice. Um, and so we make sure we have our programs coordinated um, to really address care across the continuum, and that's what we mean by that. Um, looking, working with a lot of our payers, and I'm, uh, my organization is located in Maryland, um, so the state um, is, has a number of different value-based programs. So we're working with primary care providers across our entire service area, helping them to transform the way that they deliver primary care, um, we're working with our private insurance companies on various value-based contract models, um, ACO or accountable care organization type models um, that will allow us to be to take risk, um, but also to have some um, upside in really managing a population of patients and not just thinking about the person who's in front of you at that moment but how we're looking at our entire population. And we also have to remember in a lot of the work that I do is also helping us to think about, think very broadly. Um, so we have a huge focus right now on identifying and addressing social determinants of health. 
Um, a lot of people don't realize that social determinants of health or life circumstances, as we refer to them, are those things like food insecurity and um, um, social isolation and financial strain, the things that truly impact and drive up to 80% of the health, health outcomes um, that people experience. So we have to recognize how important it is for us as healthcare providers to be looking at things holistically and doing our part to address those as well. And then on the quality side, there's so much we're doing around quality and patient safety and infection prevention um, to, to really um, make sure that, you know, we can, we're ad addressing and focusing on the right priorities, constantly focusing on improvement, performance improvement is an area that I'm responsible for and one that we spend a lot of time really just helping people to continually get better and then most importantly to sustain those actions that we put in place and really they're hardwired or bake it into the way that we deliver care every single day. So this is a, this, this a snapshot of um, I, in my role I get involved in a lot of different things which I really like and I get to span from strategically looking at things as well as operationally making sure that they are implemented well and we have our focus on the right things. All right, exceptional, exceptional um, overview there, exceptional span of control for all the things that you're touching. So um, thank you for, again, just extra details. And I hope that um, is something that really perks the ears of our audience as they plug in and just, again, learn from someone in your position all of the different aspects of quality, patient safety, and population control, or excuse me, population health. Um, but uh, excellent there. And Deneen, I'm going to move you to the next question. And this is a question that I've just gotten into the habit of calling kind of the dark place question. Um, that's why it's <laughs> pretty early in the show, so we can kind of jump in and then move forward from it. But uh, Deneen, I would love for you to take us on a journey to a point in your career that you would consider your best moment of failure. Um, we'd love for you to share with us what that story was, but also some of the decisions you were going through to turn it around and any of the major lessons learned that you took from it. Sure. So I always say that you, I mean, I know people don't like to talk about failures. You just refer to it as that the dark point or dark moment. Um, but you, we have to realize that we learn um, from failures. Um, so I think they're important things for us all to reflect on. So I'm going to share um, from a professional aspect something that I consider to be a learning point on, on my journey. And I think um, had it not happened, who knows, maybe I wouldn't be where I am right now. Um, so I was already pretty well established as a healthcare professional. And I had an opportunity. Um, actually, they reached out to me um, to go back to one of the organizations that I had formerly worked for. I, I will not name them to protect all of us innocently, um, but I, um, they, it was for a different role than what I had been in. Um, it was, would, would have been a promotional role, um, you know, and it reached out to me. They actually had their executive recruiter reach out to me. Um, so I considered it an honor. I'm like, wow, you know, they, they're reaching back out to me um, for this opportunity. And, um, you know, I was kind of on the fence because I was happy where I was, but I said, you know, it never hurts to just kind of explore opportunities that are presented to you, um, if nothing else, just to, once again, continue to push yourself and learn from those. Um, so I got very, very far um, in the process, um, you know, and it was a long process going through first the executive recruiters process, then meeting um, with all of the leaders in this organization, and I was one of two finalists. And, you know, I was like, wow, you know, I think they're going to offer me this position. And then, you know, I'm going to have to make some decisions. What do I want to do? do I, is this the right point for me to pivot? Do I want to go back to that organization? Um, and lo and behold, and they reached out to me and explained their decision and everything. I was not offered that position. And, you know, I could have said, wow, that's a failure on my part. What could I have done differently? Um, but I looked at it and I said, you know, maybe just this wasn't meant to be. And I actually had one of my mentors saying to me, even early on when I told him I was going to potentially explore this, he was like, you know, based on where you are and what you've done, and yes, this is a different role, but do you really want to go backwards? And granted, it was would have been a promotion, so it wouldn't have been going backwards from that sense. 
but he was basically saying to me, going backwards to a comfort zone, an organization that I had spent several years in and knew well, um, and maybe it was time for me to continue my journey in a different direction. And so I appreciate that. You know, I had that one moment like, you know, oh my God, am I not good enough? Why wouldn't they have selected me? Um, but then I said, you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, this wasn't meant to be. And um, I'm, I'm actually glad now as I reflect back that I didn't do that because I think if I had done that, it would have closed some other doors um, and some other opportunities and that have allowed me to kind of really stretch and expand my breadth and, and skill set in different ways that have positioned me, I believe, for where I am today. So I, I'm really impressed with that story and I appreciate it. I would have to say that I, I personally believe, Deneen, that you have to put yourself in those uncomfortable moments and positions to, to really start to grow as a person, if not a leader and a professional. Um, so that is, I guess, kind of the, the personal takeaway that I got from your story as you shared it, but would uh, love to maybe get your take on it. Um, you know, take a second, an extra second or so to talk to our audience. What would be, you know, your takeaway in terms of stretching yourself as a leader, um, some different ways to do it, but just again, connecting with your story there and growing as a leader. Um, would you have any additional takes on that before we, if we keep pushing forward? Yes, yes. So, you know, that going back to that stretching yourself as a, as a leader, um, I think that we, um, I, I, I encourage people um, to, you know, take what may be viewed as a setback and maybe someone else who's listening to this has, you know, had some opportunity that they thought was their opportunity and it didn't end up happening for whatever reason or not. Um, but to take some time and, and reflect on that. Um, don't beat yourself up as a person. In fact, you know, sometimes you have to pat yourself on the back and say, you know, that was their loss. Um, because I know what, you know, and I'm not talking about me, but I mean, whoever is reflecting on this to say, I know what I would have been able to do in that role. And then take that moment to say, how do I do those things that I believe I would have been able to do in that role had it worked out and continue to do them? Maybe it's where you are in your current organization and maybe you haven't been letting people know and putting yourself out there for those stretch assignments um, and moving beyond within your job description and, and, and looking for those opportunities in both a formal and an informal way. And I think that's the other learning point. Every learning opportunity does not have to be in a formal way. You know, you hear people say, well, until I get XYZ position, whatever that is, if you don't start doing the things that are aligned with that position, you might not ever get it. Um, so looking for those opportunities, volunteering for projects in your organization, looking outside of your organization on how you can, you know, um, do things, whether it's in a volunteer capacity or with your professional associations, um, but just getting yourself out there. And the other thing I would just say is just constantly, this is something I live by as well, being a constant learner. Doesn't matter if you're going to be able to apply everything, but you have to be constantly learning and staying abreast of what's happening in the industry and trying to stay one step ahead of it. No, that's perfect. Uh, that perfect setup and a perfect, you know, slam dunk out of the park home run hit there. Um, so I, I love all of the additional advice that you shared there, Denise. And, and again, I, I think those are the key takeaways. Really, I, I'll say maybe some of the key um, inspirations when I started this podcast was to really just get leaders like yourself to blast that kind of a message out for up and coming quality and healthcare leaders and professionals. So thank you for that. Um, going to move us up out of the, the dark moment, um, the dark place a little <laughs> bit <laughs> and try for, uh, you know, add some more productivity to our conversation. So um, next question I have for you is, I would love for you to give our quality people a tip, tool or tactic that you found works really well for building up those intimate connections on the projects and the project teams that you've led. Um, but share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Sure. So I guess the tip that I would leave people with, and it's um, really linked in with a, a lot of the concepts around um, high reliability 
um, and how do you be, how do you help organizations really design their work and their processes to be highly reliable? And that's really that the the experts are the people on the front lines. And when I'm saying front lines, I'm not just talking just about clinical care, but the front lines, those who are closest to the work. Um, are those who know the work the best. So in high reliability, we refer to that term as deference to expertise. And what I, the tip I think is that a lot of times people think that the expert in the room is the highest ranked person or, you know, the person with the most seniority. And that absolutely is not true um, when you're trying to approach things from a quality improvement mindset. The expert in the room are those who are closest to the work, no matter what that particular work is that you are doing. And you can't ever solve a quality problem and think that you've gotten to the right root cause and you know, you know, and even identify what might be the best practical solutions to put in place if you aren't actively engaging and listening to those who are closest to the work, those who are going to be impacted by any decisions that you make. So those closest to the work and the key stakeholders, you have to totally engage them and listen to, listen to them if you want to be successful in quality improvement initiatives. All right. I, I love that advice as well, Deneen. And, and I'm kind of flipping in my head which way I want to go with an add-on question for you. But um, the, the direction that I'm choosing is um, kind of to stay centered around the concepts of high reliability, if you are okay with it. Um, we've not yeah. talked a lot about high reliability on this podcast, so I would love to just ask <clears throat> if you could take an extra second to maybe highlight some of the additional key mindsets and principles of high reliability. Um, and for me, I, I was fortunate, I actually held a formal role around high reliability working with Kaiser Permanente. And I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, in that role anymore, but the things I've learned while in that role really changed my whole view on quality and process improvement for healthcare. But I would love to just toss it over to you and just um, any extra thoughts just around high reliability, because that first part, the deference to experts is a key piece. And then there's so much. And I think when you pull it all together, it produces amazing outcomes for any healthcare organization. Yes. So uh, I'll just really quickly, for those who aren't maybe as familiar with high reliability, when we talk about high reliability, it actually, the concept of it comes from outside of healthcare. And what we, what we mean by that are there are organizations that are um, in high risk environments, um, like aviation, like nuclear power plants, um, that have less than what would be expected or their fair share of safety errors. And part of what we believe the way that they've accomplished that, and now over the last five, 10 years or so that we've been applying to healthcare, is that focus on that relentless focus, I like to say, on high reliability. So high reliability is kind of grounded in adopting a, a mentality of zero harm. And we think about it, you know, in our terms, sometimes we're translating that into clinical terms of harm. Um, but harm can happen whether you're dealing with an HR situation or a finance situation, um, as well as obviously in the clinical side, because there's way too much harm that happens um, in healthcare today. So we think about it from, you know, zero harm and adopting that as, as, a, as a really, as a, as a, as a, vision for where you want to take the organization, um, then we also think about it in terms of culture um, and, and really having a, a culture that supports um, this type of, um, of outcome. And then robust process improvement or performance improvement, depending on everyone referred to it a little bit differently, but that constant learning. And then, you know, I mentioned one of those principles of high reliability is you know, deference to expertise. There's other principles around resilience. You know, how do we, um, how do we bounce back um, when something happens and keep pushing forward? Um, there's principles around, um, sorry, I had a moment there. Um, there's, there's other principles around the deference to expertise and, and resilience, listening to the front line, 
um, preoccupation with failure is just another quick one that I'll mention that we always are thinking about what can go wrong, not in a doom and gloom sense, but thinking about it from what can go wrong, which allows us to prepare for that moment and actually put, be proactive and put things in place to prevent that failure from happening. Um, so I think they, they, it's a wonderful framework. I would encourage people who aren't familiar with it um, to just Google and, and do some additional research around high reliability organizations um, because it really is a philosophy um, and a strategic framework um, that can help guide all types of quality improvement efforts. No, that that was perfect again. And again, just from my experience with it, um, I personally believe it is the future of all the things we do. Um, a lot of my career path in healthcare has been built around lean and Six Sigma and strategy and project management. And I think high reliability movement is kind of the next big thing that's going to encompass it all. But um, even when you think about what we are going through with COVID-19, I mean, the, the principles, I think, right now are even more applicable than anything so absolutely it's um, a perfect note thank you for again just the extra just feedback and topics there um let me move you to the next question uh Deneen, and would love for you to take us on one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader um but again share with us um you know the details how did the moment hit you and definitely if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success sure so you know i think that one of the aha moments that i've had um, and I think something that's allowed me to grow into the, uh, an executive leadership role is I had to realize um, that you don't need to be the expert. And um, you can't be the expert in everything, particularly as your scope and span um, continues to grow. So I think when you start off in, in your career, and I definitely recall this starting off in my career, you know, you, you focus a lot on building up your subject matter expertise in whatever that aspect of your career is. So, you know, in my case, it was building up that, you know, I needed to, you know, build up my um, clinical skill sets and abilities originally, and then I needed to start building my management skill sets and being a subject matter in those areas that I um, had the direct responsibility for, particularly when you're charged with leading a team in those areas. But then, you know, as your scope expands, you know, no one is ever going to be a subject matter expert in everything. I mean, you know, think about even let's think about a physician that I'm not, but I want to use that as a quick example. And, you know, all physicians start off and they go to, you know, medical school and they do all their clinical rotations. Um, same is true of other health professionals like nurses, and that, which was my original background. You get exposed while you're in school to, you know, lots of different aspects um, in lots of different settings. And, um, you know, at some point you decide, okay, I'm going to go into, you know, um, if you're a physician, you know, I'm going to be a pediatrician or I'm going to be a psychiatrist or I'm going to be a cardiologist. And you start building your subject matter expertise in that particular area. Um, and, and you don't, you, there's no, you know, yes, there are family practitioners, but they also have a scope. Um, they wouldn't do, you know, open heart surgery, for example, um, because that's outside of, of their scope of expertise. And but then when we look at it as, you know, healthcare leaders, and this is where I think my aha moment came from, you know, you start off and you're like, well, I need to be, I need to, you know, know everything. And then you realize, well, I, I, can't, I don't know everything and, and I don't need to know everything. Um, my aha moment was that I need to surround myself with great people who know the things that I need them to know. Um, and I need to, once again, it kind of comes back to that deference to expertise, which is a principle I live by, um, allow them to be the experts. And, and, and then I need to be the leader who kind of pulls it all together. So I think that aha moment will help hopefully a lot of people to kind of realize, I also say some of it is you have to let go of that that desire that you you know know everything you don't need to be the smartest person in the room um you need to pull on your leadership skills you need to pull on um, your management skills you need to pull on your strategic planning skills and other things um, and then allow 
the team around you to um, really, you know, let their expertise shine um, and, and help with the coordination and collaboration of those teams um, to really get to that end product and goal that you're trying to get to. So I think it's as you go along your career, that's something to just keep in mind because um, you're going to need to move beyond that journey of you being the expert to allowing others to be the experts. I can appreciate that personally, Deneen, because I, I can say for me and my healthcare journey, um, <clears throat> I've had to learn that lesson over and over again that I didn't always <laughs> have to have all the answers. Um, what, yeah. I've learned, what I've learned as a leader is that we have to set people up to be able to facilitate the right answers. Um, right. And another thing to your, you know, you made a, a very specific comment that I've learned from a mentor um, is that you don't always have to be the smartest person in the room, but the way it was delivered to me is that if you find yourself being the smartest person in the room, then it's time to change rooms. And, oh, I've heard that. I love that. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I try to just, you know, assess that as I find myself in different leadership situations. You know, if I'm feeling like I'm the guy either having to always come up with the answers now or if I am the person that people are leaning on the most, then I need to kind of assess all the skills and talent around me and make the right recommendations to make sure, again, I'm not the crux of the decision points that, you know, experts can be their best. Um, so those are um, just some takeaways as you shared your aha moment. I mean, that connected and resonated very well with me personally. So the, um, yeah, no, the, the feedback there, I think, is phenomenal. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, move you to our next question. Um, what are some of the changes going on across the healthcare industry right now that you're personally excited about? And what role do you see quality professionals and maybe along with your background, even the population health leaders playing to promote and support its longevity? Sure. So I think that, you know, we are at a point in the U.S. healthcare industry um, and just where, where healthcare is in this country um, that I think finally people recognize that we have to approach it in a different way. And what I mean by that is that we spend more than any other developed country. Um, you know, when you look at what percentage of our gross domestic product is on healthcare spend, it's, you know, 18, 19, 20%. We don't have the best outcome. So it'd be great if we said, yes, we're spending all this money on healthcare, um, but look at what we've achieved. And we still have issues with, you know, even basic things like infant mortality. Um, we still have huge issues that we have to address in this country around um, disparities and health um, inequities. Um, and, and we still have huge quality challenges when we look at, you know, are we, you know, I always say, are we producing health? And I think the answer right now is we still have a long way to go in that journey. So I think that some of the current changes that are happening are recognizing that and recognizing that, you know, we really have to get, go, I kind of say go deep and really understand what are the root causes. So we're seeing this big shift that's happening and accelerating, I would say, in that shift from a volume-based healthcare um, um, mode of thinking about things to a value-based. What are the, what are those quality outcomes? What are the patient experiences that we're producing? And at what cost? How do we lower costs? How do we drive waste out of the way that we um, deliver healthcare in this country? And quality professionals, it's like, this is your moment um, because this is the time as we're tackling these very tough issues that have really been ingrained in the way our healthcare systems have been designed um, that you can shine and, and really driving that change. And that's really what I think it's about. It's about you know, really helping to drive change, to help us deliver care in a different way, um, to focus in a different way, not just on, you know, the patient who's sitting in front of us, but what about our, our communities? What about the larger um, public policy issues that have, you know, that can influence how some of those social determinants and other things, policies around housing, policies around education, because we know that even that is a determinant of your health outcomes, where you live, um, what type of an educational background that you receive so has so much influence ultimately on you know, your living conditions 
which impact your health, on your financial conditions that impact your health, et cetera. Um, so we have lots of opportunities by partnering with the, you know, with the public sector, um, partnering with uh, other community stakeholders, our grassroots organizations and others that have been in the trenches trying to make a difference every single day, and then driving quality um, through, I say, I call it good old PDSA, Plan, Do, Study, Act, um, which is really at the core of all of the other kind of quality um, frameworks, whether it's Lean or Six Sigma, it all really drives down to, you know, um, driving change and driving um, improvements, and then most importantly, sustaining those. I think this is some of the exciting times um, and opportunities that we have to, in this generation, really leave our footprint on um, what's happening in the healthcare industry and hopefully, hopefully make a difference for the, the future generations that are coming behind us. Well, and I'm going to go way off script right now, Deneen, but I, I know we're still kind of very much in the early stages of a lot of the um, COVID-19 responses, but do you have any predictions on maybe how this, um, this time right now in our, our U.S. healthcare industry may be impacted? And I, I'll, I guess the background that I'm coming at that question with is that I'm already starting to read um, in some publications that local healthcare markets are creating alliances, um, you know, where a bunch of different competing, quote unquote, competing hospital organizations are coming together and are working together to care for their respective regions. Um, things that we're seeing with, you know, the use of 3D printers to, um, to more quickly produce the supplies and the different elements of um, appropriate patient care that's needed with our PPEs and so forth. It feels to me that we're kind of doing some of the things that we probably should have been already taking advantage of in healthcare. Um, so again, I know it's a way early development, but just curious, again, from your view of the world and your view of healthcare, do you see the responses of COVID-19 also maybe changing some of the future um, outlook and future impact for our healthcare industry? Absolutely, and I'm gonna pick up on a couple of the points that you just made and then add a couple of, um, quickly add a couple of more. So the healthcare alliances is a huge one. I think when it comes to, and I think it takes a crisis sometimes um, for to get people out of that, you know, competitive mode and realize we're all in this together. You know, it, it is, and, and it has hit us um, collectively. And if, if there's other health systems in your local market, um, you're going to be dealing with the same set of circumstances at the same time, which is COVID-19. So I definitely think those alliances, you know, in my area, um, you know, we had um, even actually just yesterday, the Maryland Hospital Association hosted a call with, um, with health systems and those who are um, really working on the, we're beginning to understand that there's a lot of issues that we have to start planning for um, and across the continuum. So it's not even just health systems that we came together on that call and shared and, and are, are talking about how we can work together, but the public health um, world was there. The post-acute world, is, the skilled teaching facility was were there because you know we're transferring patients back and forth um, so we really have to have some of those really good alliances and, and make sure that we're kind of looking at things and organizing ourselves for the, the greater good of our community. Um, I think it's also stretching us in different ways around um, innovation, as you were talking about 3D printers, lots of innovation that's happening on the fly is, you know, if we don't have enough personal protective equipment, how do we conserve it? How do we stretch it? Um, are there, you know, do we deliver care in different ways? Can we use the tools that we have in different ways? And that whole issue around delivering care in different ways, we're seeing the, due to what's happening with COVID-19 um, and the need to, you know, really try to flatten the curve as everyone is talking about. We're seeing a lot of innovation in, in pushing beyond where I think we would have gotten otherwise with alternative ways of delivering care. So telemedicine right now is exploding, and we're realizing that, yeah, we really can do a lot without having to have face-to-face -face visits. Um, so video visits, you know, um, being able to um, remotely monitor people, 
um, all of these, you know, as, as we think about, you know, in certain communities, maybe there won't be enough ICU beds, but, you know, can we have remote um, ICUs and have intensivists that are, you know, not right there who can help to guide the, the local staff and leaders that are there. And yes, a lot of this was happening already, but nowhere near the extent that we see organizations planning for today um, because we've been forced to, you know, shut down, um, you know, certain healthcare settings have been forced to shut down or people don't want to go and wait in a waiting room in their doctor's office. They're much more comfortable now having that video visit um, and, 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 and only coming into the hospital or the emergency department if they absolutely need that level of care. I think, you know, and even the way we're engaging our communities um, in, in, in helping us and in, in just seeing everyone rise to the occasion and really supporting all of the healthcare workers on the front line um, has just been absolutely amazing and, and inspiring um, to those of us who are in the trenches and, and dealing with this um, pandemic situation. Absolutely. I appreciate those extra thoughts. And I, like I said, I know so much of this is still in developing mode, but I'm personally hoping that a lot of these things that are coming to light now, and again, the, the technologies and capabilities have been around for a while, but yep. the, fact, the fact that we're utilizing them now or, you know, or they're being highlighted as kind of the go-to, you know, immediate solutions given the situation, um, I'm just really hoping a lot of it sticks around. So, um, so thank you for letting me toss that out. I know that's, you know, I, I definitely didn't prepare you for that one, but um, you handled it like a pro. So thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, Deneen, I would love to ask now, um, how can the healthcare industry become a more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality professionals to start and or grow their careers? So I think that, you know, a couple of things that I would say here is that um, one would be, you know, in healthcare, we've sometimes been a hierarchical focus type organization. We have to get rid of that and really embrace our, our up-and-comers who are at the beginning of their careers, um, regardless of what generation they may be in, um, but really just embrace the, the, the millennials and others and, and the, the wonderful attributes that they um, bring to our organizations. I absolutely love working um, with them, and, and, and I really love working across all generations, but, you know, they are just their level of dedica dedication, their their um, their 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 willingness to take um, risk, um, I think, is 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 really helping us as an industry as a whole. So I think we really need to embrace them. Um, I think we also need to embrace people who maybe their you know their educational path um, or even where their experience hasn't been strictly in healthcare. And this is so important, I think, on the quality side. Um, everybody doesn't need to be a clinician. Um, you know, we have folks who may have industrial engineering backgrounds, um, folks who, you know, have been doing wonderful performance improvement and quality work in other industries that really have some great transferable skills. They're going to be working around the experts. They don't need to be the clinical experts. Um, we have lots of folks who can fulfill those roles, but people who understand facilitation and process improvement and, um, and, and just teamwork. Um, and those are the ones that I think we have to embrace in, the, in our healthcare industry to help us on this, this very important journey and pivot that we're on as we embrace becoming more of a value-based um, organizations, more high reliability as we were talking about a little earlier. Um, so I think I, I challenge all of us as leaders to you know, really look at even how we are, are writing job descriptions and what those minimum requirements are um, and make sure that we are truly being open enough um, and broad enough in our thinking um, to attract the right talent. And then once we get that talent, um, we really need to um, embrace them and, and listen to them and make them feel welcome. And, and, and they hopefully then they will want to stay with us and um, continue to grow um, their own career. So I'm very much into embracing our up-and-comers and, and thinking broadly about the type of talent we need in our organizations. 
So I, I just personally, again, want to say amen to that. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I didn't, I guess, more, more formally introduce myself um, at the beginning of our call, Deneen, but I am an industrial engineer. Um, I've been fortunate to have been in healthcare now for about 13, 14 years, but it has been an uphill climb career-wise to um, have the success that I've had. And I've known, you know, many other non-clinical quality leaders that have had a very similar plight, but um, mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate your feedback. I think, you know, again, to your point, um, in the world of quality, patient safety, population health, and all the analytics and things coming behind it, it's just going to take a very diverse team nowadays to be very successful. So uh, I resonate and appreciate that altogether. Excellent. <laughs> and you're right. living proof of what I was just saying. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and I was fortunate too, you know, kind of to add on with some of your examples. Uh, when I came in, I started my healthcare career at Duke University Healthcare System, and I was partnered with a nurse leader um, for the first couple of years of my career. And together, mm -hmm. um, you know, she built me up to really respect the healthcare industry and the clinical knowledge that I obviously didn't have. And I, I've built her up to be a much better problem solver, a Lean Six Sigma expert over time. But together, I mean, we were like dynamic duo. We were just attached at the hip for a few years and that really propelled my career for, uh, path forward, so. Great, that's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, and hopefully others will be able to have those same experiences that you had. And it, it's that teamwork that really makes a difference. Absolutely. But perfect. Thank you for that. And Deneen, I'm happy to share that we are right there at the halfway point of our um, interview. And I'm going to move us into a part of the show called the two minute drill, which is our rapid fire Q&A, but just wanted to do a quick check and see if you're ready to rock and roll. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Deneen, the next question I have for you is something of a two-parter where I would love for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best every day, but then also share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? Sure. So I think what inspires me to do um, to do my best every day with this was the first part of your question. I am inspired by knowing that I, every single day, I'm making a difference. That difference may not be displayed right at that moment. It may be, you know, that pebble that's going to lead us down the path. Um, but that's what inspires me. And this, this isn't just hypothetical things that we focus on in population health and quality. It really is making a difference, and that inspires me. And then, how do I inspire others within my organization? I inspire them. Um, I try to every day, and, and something that I say often to people, they probably get tired of me saying it, is that you can either be part of the problem or you can be part of the solution. And my, my choice is to be part of the solution. So I try to inspire people that so that we don't just get caught up in what's not working today. I guess you can say I definitely am a glass half full person, an optimist, if you want to call it that. Um, but I'm always saying, looking at what, okay, let's drive towards a solution. Um, and, you know, I don't, I want people to surface problems, absolutely. But then we got to pivot and say, what are the solutions that we can put in place? What's in our control to do, do something about this today? And then what are some of those longer term things that we can do? And that's how I try to inspire others in my organization to keep going. And then once again, ground us in the fact that, you know, this is all about us serving our community um, and serving each other so that if nothing else would definitely inspire us to want to bring our best foot forward every single day. All right, perfect. Now, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Be authentic. Um, sounds simple, um, but just be authentic. Be who you are. Um, show up that way every single day. Um, and, and I would just, I, I just leave it with those two words, be authentic. All right, perfect. And if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? So I would probably want to trade jobs with, uh, with our chief financial officer. And you may say, oh, my God, why would you want to trade jobs with them? Um, because I think that when you're thinking about quality and the type of work that we're doing, um, your, your, your CFO has to be your best friend. 
Um, we have to help people. We have to be able to take what we're doing in quality and understand it from their lens as well. And some of it is going to be how do we translate the work that we're doing into, I'm going to call it the hard green dollars and the soft green dollars, you know, which could be things like, you know, harm avoidance. But I think being able to quantify our outcomes and understanding it from their lens and even helping to, you know, from a finance point of view, to understand the impact that we're going to make, even on addressing things like social determinants. So I think, you know, them being able to see things from a quality perspective and a population health perspective, and us being able to see things from their perspective, we all know the saying, no money, no mission. Um, so I think that that's the person I would switch roles with just so I can make sure I can constantly keep myself grounded in that perspective as well. All right. Well, so Deneen, the funny thing is that 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 question, when I first slipped it into this uh, podcast interview format, was something uh -huh. of a tester. And I always would tell folks like there's no right or wrong answer because some folks are like, oh, I would never switch jobs. But um, <laughs> I, I'm happy to say that you are the first person to say a CFO. And I immediately I was like a CFO. Interesting. But <laughs> as you broke down the rationale, you are so spot on. So perfect answer. There, There's no right or wrong. But that was such an awesome answer. So Thank you. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, Deneen, would love for you to share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives. So um, I will share a couple, couple of different things. So I want to go back to one of the things I talked about. I think it was when we were talking about our aha moment. And that is a personal habit that contributes to my success is listening, truly listening um, to those who are the most knowledgeable about the area that we're trying to improve. And then I would share another personal habit um, that I think just contributes to my ongoing career of success and, and leading quality initiatives and everything else that I'm doing is being a constant learner. Um, you have to stay on top of your game. Um, so constantly be a learner that can be through talking with people, that can be through reading, that can be through following and listening to blogs like this and other things, um, podcasts and things um, like this, um, but be a constant learner and then always listen to those who are on the front lines and closest to the work that's happening. All right, perfect answer there. And uh, Deneen, do you have a go-to website or mobile application that helps you execute on the work that you lead? So I am a huge fan of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement or IHI. There are lots and lots of other sites out there, but I love the way that they just have a bringing things together, um, you know, doing that synthesis of the literature, the best practices, the evidence base, and then putting it together in very simple change packages. Um, so, and then they also just have um, lots and lots of of tools on there for those who are trying to learn more of the quality tools. They have their quality improvement essentials toolkit, lots of white papers and other things. So I just find that um, to be an excellent site um, for those who are in this quality field. All right, perfect. And uh, I'm guessing this might align pretty uh, similarly with that uh, response there, but um, could you please share with our quality people a professional society or a pro and a professional conference that you would um, offer as a value add? Sure. So from professional societies, the um, American College of Healthcare Executives, or ACHE, um, is excellent because, you know, quality individuals and population health individuals, we need to interact with other sectors of the healthcare field. Um, so I think that they, ACHE, does a great job of bringing together health professionals. I also want to shout out to NAFI, the National Association for Health Service Executives, the work that they do in really supporting and bringing together minority health professionals is just awesome. Um, so that's another great organization. And then as far as professional conferences, um, obviously the, those two organizations have wonderful professional conferences, but I also have to go back to IHI as well and the IHI National Forum that takes place in December every year. Um, is an excellent um, um, conference that I think adds a lot of value. Um, and there are other organizations. Always, it's always hard when you have to start naming organizations and naming people because you know you're leaving something out. But those are just, you know, a few that I would mention um, that I think are just awesome references and resources for people. Perfect. And I, I will um, 
say that I appreciate the Nazi shout out and happy to say that the uh, assuming that we kind of get back to our normal social lives in the next few months here, but um, the NASI national meeting is based here in Atlanta this year. I am based out of Atlanta, and so uh, we will be hosting that this year. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Let's hope that, like you said, we all can get back to some semblance of normal and um, be able to, hopefully we'll be able to um, have these conferences. It's kind of, you know, right now I know a lot of people are disappointed because a lot of the conferences and other things are being canceled, but um, let's hope that in a couple of months, we'll be in a much different position. I agree there. If nothing else, by football season. So. <laughs> <laughs> now you sound like my husband, who's a football fanatic. <laughs> All right, perfect. Um, if you could please recommend one book to our quality people, um, what would it be and why? Sure. So that one book that I'm, I'm going to recommend, and it's a, it's, it's, I, can't, I should have looked to see what year it was originally published. It's been out a long time. It's a very, very simple book. It's called Who Moved My Teas um, by Spencer Johnson. The reason I love, love, love this book is it's probably a one-hour read at best, um, but it's all about dealing with change. Um, and that is something that quality people really have to understand. You're going to have your resistors, you're going to have your early adopters and everyone in between, um, but really understanding, you know, why people are resistant to change and why some embrace it and, and how you kind of move everybody along and, and get them out of their comfort zone. Um, so that would be the book I would recommend to people. All right, perfect. And it is a classic read. Um, highly recommend that as well. It's one of my favorites. So thank you for that. And um, Denise, we are right there at the very last question, but just giving you a heads up, this is a personal favorite because I'm going to try to get you to reflect on your past and look forward to your future all at the same time. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Sure, tough questions. You're hard, Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> I got, got, got so, you thinking uh, pretty hard for early morning, huh? <laughs> exactly. So 10 years in the past, I think the text message that, um, if I was able to send one text message to myself 10 years into the past, it would be um, it would be trust and there's no limits um, because I, you know I think ten years in the past I I probably had a little bit more self doubt of you know what what I thought I may have been able to accomplish in my career so I would have tried to reassure my old self my younger self that you know just trust um, and believe and and things will happen and then ten years into the future the text message that I would send myself is I hope that you've made a difference. Um, so, and, and that's what I, that, like I said, I can, if I'm going to get there 10 years in the future, I got to focus on that every single day right now as we, as I guide into those, you know, to those 10 years. So I think those would be my messages that I would communicate to myself. All right, perfect. And those, I think, are just beautiful messages that everyone can can wrap their heads around. I think those are really, really reflective questions to ask. And um, I am, I, I approve. I think those are perfect messages. <laughs> uh, no, Deneen, uh, I'm sorry, say that again. No, I said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Deneen, I let me thank you seriously um, again for getting up, you know, early Sunday morning. Um, this was a wonderful conversation. I, I know I personally just gained so much um, extra learning and knowledge um, just through our conversation. So thank you. I think a lot of what you shared again is going to resonate really well with the healthcare leaders and the healthcare quality improvement and process improvement folks that plug in with this episode. So thank you. Thank you for all of that. But before we, um, before I let you go, before we um, really wrap up, I would love to end the show with you giving our audience that parting piece of advice and please share the best way that they can follow or connect with you on social media and then we'll officially sign off. Sure. So I'm going to share for my um, parting piece of advice. Um, and I always like to say in quality, you know, don't be afraid to shamelessly steal. Um, so I'm going to actually steal 
um, two things, and actually one um, that I that I love is just um, from Gandhi, and I think we all, you know, have huge respect um, in in for Gandhi, and it was be the change you wish to see in the world. And then right now, I was talking about being a constant learner, so I'm actually one of the the leadership book that I'm reading right now is called The Multipliers and How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, and um, that's from Liz Wyman. And um, one of the quotes that is frequently that um, you see when you look at quotes from that book, The Multiplier, is the highest quality of thinking cannot emerge without learning, and learning cannot happen without mistakes. So my parting advice is don't be afraid of the mistakes that are going to happen. You can get beyond that. Be that change that you want that you want others to see. Um, and stay focused on it. Don't give up. It will happen. Everyone's path is a little differently. It happens a little different. And then as far as connecting with me on social media, um, LinkedIn, I think actually that's how Jarvis and I got connected. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. There's not a lot of other Deneen Richmonds out there. So just look for me on LinkedIn. Um, I look forward to um, connecting with you and learning from all of you as well. That's that's what I said my motto is. And um, Jarvis, I just want to thank you for um, um, connecting with me and giving me this opportunity to share this morning. No, perfect. Well, anytime and you are welcome at any point to come back. Um, I, I thank you again, Deneen, and I hope you have a great rest of your day and weekend. And to our quality people everywhere, thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Deneen signing off. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.